This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Robin Cotter, Toronto, Ontario, October 2006. THE JUNIOR CLASSICS, VOLUME One, BY WILLIAM PATTON PREFACE There are some things in this world we can get along without, but the experience of many thousand years has shown us that the fairy tale is not one of them. There must have been fairy tales, or fables, or folk tales, or myths, or whatever name we choose to give them, ever since the world began. They are not exclusively French, German, Greek, Russian, Indian, or Chinese, but are the common property of the whole human family, and are as universal as human speech. All the world over, fairy tales are found to be pretty much the same. The story of Cinderella is found in all countries. Japan has a Rip Van Winkle, China has a Beauty and the Beast, Egypt has a Puss in Boots, and Persia has a Jack and the Beanstalk. Those wise people who have made a careful study of literature, and especially of what we call folk tales, or fairy tales, or fables, or myths, tell us that they all typify, in some way, the constant struggle that is going on in every department of life. It may be the struggle of summer against winter, the bright day against dark night, innocence against cruelty, of knowledge against ignorance. We are not obliged to think of these delightful stories as each having a meaning. Our enjoyment of them will not be less if we overlook that side, but it may help us to understand and appreciate good books if we remember that the literature of the world is the story of man's struggle against nature, that the beginnings of literature came out of the mouths of storytellers, and that the stories they told were fairy tales, imaginative stories based on truth. There is one important fact to remember in connection with the old fairy tales, and that is that they were repeated aloud from memory, not read from a book or manuscript. The printing of books from type may be said to date from the year 1470, when Caxton introduced printing into England. It is said that the first book printed in English, which had the pages numbered, was a book of tales, Aesop's Fables. As late as 1600, printed books were still so rare that only rich men could own them. There was one other way of printing a story on sheepskin, split and made into parchment, with a pen, but that was a long and laborious art that could only be practiced by educated men who had been taught to write. The monks were about the only men who had the necessary education and time, and they cared more for making copies of the Bible and lives of the saints than they did of fairy tales. The common people, and even kings and queens, were therefore obliged to depend upon the professional storyteller. Fairy tales were very popular in the Middle Ages, 
in the long winter months fields could not be cultivated, traveling had to be abandoned, and all were kept within doors by the cold and snow. We know what the knight's house looked like in those days. The large beamed hall, or living room, was the principal room. At one end of it, on a low platform, was a table for the knight, his family, and any visiting knights and ladies. At the other tables on the main floor were the armed men, like squires and retainers, who helped defend the castle from attack, and the maids of the household. The storyteller, who was sometimes called a bard, or scald, or minstrel, had his place of honor in the center of the room, and when the meal was over, he was called upon for a story. These storytellers became very expert in the practice of their art, and some of them could arouse their audiences to a great pitch of excitement. In the note that precedes the story, The Treason of Ganelon, in the volume Heroes and Heroines of Chivalry, you can see how one of these storytellers, or minstrels, sang aloud a story to the soldiers of William the Conqueror to encourage them as he led them into battle. The fairy tales collected by the Brothers Grimm were first published in 1812. They spent thirteen years collecting them, writing them down as they were told by the peasants in Hesse, a mountainous province of Germany, lying far removed from the great main roads. Their friends helped them, but their best friend was the wife of a cowherd, a strong, intelligent woman of fifty, who had a perfect genius for storytelling. She knew she told the stories well, and that not many had her gift. The Grimms said that though she repeated a story for them three times, the variations were so slight as to be hardly apparent. The American Indian stories of Manabozo the mischief-maker and his adventures with the wolf and the woodpeckers and the ducks were collected in very much the same way by Henry R. Schoolcraft, the explorer and traveler who lived among the Indian tribes for thirty years. Mrs. Steele has told us how she collected her Hindu stories, often listening over and over to poor storytellers who would spoil a story in trying to tell it, until one day her patience would be rewarded by hearing it from the lips of the best storyteller in the village, who was generally a boy. As all nations have their fairy tales, you will find in this collection examples of English, Irish, French, German, Scandinavian, Icelandic, Russian, Polish, Serbian, Spanish, Arabian, Hindu, Chinese, and Japanese fairy tales, as well as those recited around the lodge fires at night by American Indians for the entertainment of the Red Children of the West. I hope the work may prove for many a boy and girl, of any age up to a hundred, the golden bridge over which they can plunge into that marvelous world of fairies, elves, goblins, kobolds, trolls, afrites, jinns, ogres, and giants that fascinates us all, lost to this world till someone wakes us up to say, Bedtime! Such excursions fill the mind with beautiful fancies and help to develop that most precious of our faculties, the imagination. End of Preface